fucking kettle on? Can you hear the kettle? For for the... No, I can't hear anything. Can't hear Is that it. for yourself or for the missus? That's not for me. <laughs> oh, well, I, 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 I thought you were on a sort of, uh, you know, room service, mate. <laughs> 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 you sort of just ring, ring, ring a bell and it's like, you know, being trained. <laughs> Uh, do we need an intro? Uh, I mean, I suppose we should. Um, yeah, kia ora guys. Uh, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Extra Trials Football Podcast, the home of alternative football. It's Saturday the 23rd of January here in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, for the first time in 2021, joining me on the pod, it's the one and only Lala Perth going to do it. How's it going, buddy? Brilliant. Yeah, good, Edzy. Good, Edzy. Thank you very much for having me back on the pod. Just want to extend a happy 2021 to all the viewers out there. Happy New Year. Um, what a time to be alive. And um, yeah, hope everyone's safe and well and, and brilliant to be back on the pod, uh, chatting all things football and as usual, just, uh, you know, absolute nonsense. <laughs> You're looking good, mate. I thought you'd be uh, sporting a massive beard, you know what I mean? Like, like Tom Hanks from Castaway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the desert island sort of look. But um, no, I mean, it's one of them. We're obviously over here in the UK. We've been in lockdown since God knows when. I think it's lockdown yeah. 3.0. I've lost track of time now. But uh, yeah, you've got to do what you've got to do to try and keep yourself sane. So I haven't quite gone the sort of, you know, zombie apocalypse beard look yet. But it might be coming. Give it a couple more, a couple more weeks. See how long this lockdown lasts. <laughs> So what's the story now, mate? Like, are you you've been outdoors or what? Um, oh, do you know what's sad, mate? Is it's one of them where it's like I think I've only been outdoors, maybe you know, because I'm in my little two by two, obviously. Do you know what I mean? You know, uh, I think I might have been outdoors maybe twice or three times this week, all all for exercise, all going out running. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm starting to lose touch of what the outside world looks like. Um, you know, I, I can't even remember what a, a, a street sign looks like. It's been that long. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's getting dire over here mate where's the month gone it's nearly february already oh no mate it's mad in it do you know what's crazy though it's one of them where it's like you know obviously you know 2020 years flowing by we're in january now and um yeah people are already talking about february march april easter hot cross buns are in the uh, are in the supermarkets over here i'm not sure if they've quite got to that level of excitement in, in new zealand yet but oh, um, mate, we had them yeah. in bloody december Bloody hell! There you go. I mean, that's yeah. taking the mick with it, isn't it? But um, it's um, it's mad, isn't it, mate? What what a time to be alive, mate! Time <laughs> is just evaporating. So, um, obviously, the gyms are still closed. So, how are you keeping fit then, mate? It's it's hard graft, bro. I'm not going to lie to you. Through the wind, the rain, the snow. You know what I mean? Like your boy's out on the trail, man, and it's hard work, man. Like negative three degrees out running. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've got to be built of sterner stuff than I am, mate. Do you know what I mean? So now I've been hitting the, hitting the road, hitting the trail, um, just been doing lots of outdoor runnings and, uh, you know, a little bit of Joe Wicks, these sort of, you know, home workouts and all that kind of malarkey. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been, a, it's been all right. But, um, my God, I'm missing an indoor facility where you can exercise, mate. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, only, <laughs> there's only so much the manhood can take, mate, running up and down when it's negative three degrees outside. <laughs> Bloody hell. It's a bit chilly here, mate. It's, only, it's like 20 degrees, I think it is. Oh, sod it off. Sod it off, mate. Do you know what I mean? You lot are living the, living the dream, mate. It's, uh, you know, what, what a cold day for you lot is like, what, 15 degrees or something. It's, uh, it's mad. <laughs> no, I do feel sorry for you, mate. I mean, um, you must be envious of my snaps at the F45. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I've seen you, like, you know, down the beach and all those sort of things and all that kind of stuff. So, um, no, it's just good living the dream. It's been a pretty good few weeks for you, I think, at Arsenal. Yeah, it's been all right on the Arsenal's front. It's one of them where it's like, um, 
So, I mean, if we rewind the last time I was back on the pod, you know, it was sort of, you know, doom and gloom with, with a lot of different things going on. Um, but, you know, we've, we've gone on a nice little run now. And it's one of them where it's like, you know, I just want to shout out to all the Chelsea fans. You know, they all laughed at me, but they're not laughing now, are they? So, you know, they, <laughs> it's one of them where it's like, you know, going into the game on boxing, mate, they're like, oh, you know, we'll beat the Arsenal up 3-0, 4-0. They're not even going to get, you know, they'll be lucky to get a goal. You know, we've got Rhys James, you know, we've got, uh, you know, uh, Havertz, we've got, um, you know, Werner, we've got Chilwell, all of this sort of stuff. We tore them apart from pillar to post, you know what I mean? It was one of them where it's like, you know, I, I sort of at half time was thinking to myself, you know, it is not still, uh, you know, <laughs> eating Christmas dinner, uh, pig, pigs and blankets and, uh, and you know, roast dinner. It was absolute, we made mincemeat of them, mate. It was laughable, <laughs> absolutely laughable. And then, you know, since then we've gone on a, Gone on a nice little run, mate. Nice little run. You know, the youngsters are doing their little bit. Smith Rowe, mm. Saka, um, obviously at the back, holding Tierney, being Sterling, Burnt Leno, and, uh, you know, the main man, Mr. Pierre Mirkabamia, and he started firing again. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those where it's like, uh, let's, uh, let's strap ourselves in, see where we end up. Still got uh, 19 games left of the season. <laughs> everyone at Everyone at the top is tripping up, slipping up, you know, ducky and diving. So uh, you never know, mate. You never know. <laughs> am, I, am I hearing a title challenge? <laughs> no, I never said anything of that like. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, right, and this is the thing which is embarrassing, is everyone's been making about all this noise or, you know, Tottenham this, Tottenham that, yeah. or, you know, Everton this, Everton that, Chelsea this, Chelsea that, or, you know, Liverpool. Well, guess what? I mean, the reality is... Arsenal was meant to have such a shocking start of the season. We're only seven points off the, the top four. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You know, and uh, you look at it, Chelsea, you know, with supposedly a manager in that team who's meant to be, you know, God's gift to man, Frank Lampard, who spent 100 odd, 200 million quid in the summer, two points ahead of us. So do you know what? All I've got to say out now to all you Arsenal hating lovers, where are you? <laughs> Where are you now? Do you know what I mean? All you Chelsea fans, you know, wanking off in your fucking green screens and all of this shit. You know I mean? You're shit. You're absolutely shit. If I'd spent what you'd spent and I'm where you are now, I would be absolutely embarrassed. And it's, you know, the thing is this, this lot have gone out, giving it large, all this, all that, you know, Frank Lampard, this, Frank Lampard, that. The bloke's got one trick and one chick on, trick only, and that's to get his checkbook out. It's mm. hilarious. Do you know what I mean? What's he going to do? Go cry to Roman and ask for another £200 million? Pathetic, mate. Absolutely <laughs> pathetic. So, I mean, the bloke couldn't manage himself out of a paper bag, mate. It's just, it's laughable, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You, you look at the, you know, do you know what? David Moyes is above him in the league and that shows, that that's levels, yeah, isn't it? Do you know what true. I mean? Absolute <laughs> levels. So, uh, it's, yeah, levels, mate. Love it. I love it, mate. I love the passion. Um, I, I've got to say, mate, Arsenal doing business off the field as well. It's been a good window so far, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got Matt Ryan who's come in, who's, you know, he's like our Martinez replacement because what we've been lacking is that sort of safe pair of hands who, you know, if, if Leno was to sort of, you know, if the zombie apocalypse, the Armageddon was to occur mm. where Leno was to get an injury, you know, you've got someone who can come in and cover. So Matt Ryan, that's a solid signing, mate. I've seen him in action live a few times with when Arsenal played Brian and he's, you know, he's a robust character between the sticks. You know, he's, he's solid, reliable, good distribution, strong in the air, good in the save, you know, consistent goalkeeper. That's a great, great little yeah. loan signing for us I mean, and hopefully we can make it permanent. Yeah, and the, the Australian connection as well. Exactly, yeah. It's nice seeing Aussie at the Arsenal. I mean, it's one of them where it's, uh, you know, uh, 
they've, not, they've only ever really had one Aussie, John Kuzmina, and he only played like a couple of games or something. So, really? um, yeah, all, all the gooners down under, I'm sure, are absolutely jumping up and down at the, an Aussie sign for the Arsenal. Yeah, um, that's, that's so, good, mate. That's good for the, the, the supporter clubs over there. Yeah, story's, the story's great, actually. And he's basically said he was an Arsenal fan growing up, saying he's waking up at sort of like, you know, 4am in the morning watching the games and all of that stuff. And I think he'll bring, he'll bring a lot to the dressing room, do you know what I mean? He'll bring a lot of character, passion. I think he'll spur the goalkeeping group on. Um so uh, I think it can only be good things for the signing and hopefully he gets plenty of minutes, uh, you know, in the cup games and, 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 and around when Leno needs a rest. I, I can't understand what Graham Potter is doing there at Brighton. Like, why would you get rid of Ryan? Because you've, you've got this kid called Martinez, he's only played eight games, and then your third choice, which is the second choice, is uh, Jason Steele, who's dog shit. Yeah, I mean, but, like, I don't why, would you, why would you let yeah, your... It... I mean, to be honest with you, I think there's a few things. There's a few things at Brighton where you got to sort of, sort of scratch your head, really, don't you? Because I mean, the wheel. I think the wheels are starting to fall off there. If I'm brutally honest with you, because what they were really good at over the last sort of couple of years is very strong defensive discipline. Um, whereas I think they've kind of lost that. You know, you had like Dunk at the back, you had Ryan in goal. Um, you know, others which were there. Whereas it seems like they're trying to play more football now. Um, no Mopay up front, um, you know, others which are in the team. Um, and it's just not, it's not quite what, you know, haven't quite got the operating model right for them, have they? They're, they're not a good team, mate. And I look at them nah. like, oh, God, we, we could do a better job than them. Like, eventually the wheels will come off for Brighton, but they're lucky there's yeah. three worst teams in them in the league. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, that's, mate. That's the thing. It'll, it'll come off eventually. Like, Paul, Paul is a, he's a charlatan. <laughs> yeah, really uh, uh, we we are singing from the same hymn he- sheet, mate. I I agree on that one. Um, I think, <laughs> but well, obviously, that, that, letting Matt Ryan go is so stupid, though. It yeah, stupid. I mean, the, let's 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 hark it back. I mean, they should probably never should have got rid of Chris Houghton, should they? Because nah. he's always done a you know Chris Houghton's always done a on a solid job wherever he's gone, and you know he was doing all right at Brighton, and then they sort of thought, okay, we can go bigger and better, but. The reality is they're not they're not you know in the in the grand scheme of things they're not a they're not a big club really are they and 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 you know a little bit like Burnley they're sort of reliant on that manager to give the sole focus and spearhead at at the club so um you know look Scott it, it's interesting because I think it's all in Fulham Fulham I mean Fulham and West Brom are both going to be hungry but um I think of the teams which are in the drop zone Sheffield United West Brom Fulham Fulham are the ones I'd probably give the most chance of trying to come out of that because I think they definitely can play football so I think it's yeah. really down to, to Scott Parker to try and get a tune out of his team and um, if he does I'd be a little bit worried if I was Brian yeah yeah I agree mate I think they've they've really picked form um, in the last two months Fulham like um, as you say like Scott Parker's a nice guy as well like, I, I really think that I want them to stay up because it's, it's, I think it's good for the league if they step. Like, I'm not going to miss Brighton if they go down. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm it's going to miss Sheffield when they go down. Like Sheffield, yeah. do you think Sheffield will be the worst ever Premier League team ever? Do you think they'll do you think they'll break the record for Derby? So, I, I, so I, I think it's one of them where it's like this season's been really interesting, and I mean, like, uh, you know, um, understand that there's a, a broad range of, of, of viewers who, who listen to the pod and, and people from all sorts of different experiences and backgrounds. And I think what I would say is that in, in football, home ground advantage is, is such a massive thing. And, and if you've never been to a game live, it's, you know, I guess you can say it on, on the TV, but, you know, from, it's hard to explain. Like clubs like Sheffield United have got 
such a fanatical home support, that gives them such a boost, if, mm. if that makes sense. And I think you've seen it last season where Bramble Lane was such a fortress for them because, you know, the 12th man got behind them, if, if that makes sense. And um, I think since we've had the behind closed doors football, they've struggled really because there's, there's just, it's, you know, when they play that style of game at home, they haven't got the fans urging them on, backing them, you know, sort of, you know, all the way behind them for 90 minutes. And I think what you've seen is, it's difficult to play that you know, defensive style of football um, when you haven't got that kind of home home fortress behind you. Um, and I think them not having the fans is just the worst thing to ever happen to them. And I think you're yeah. right, mate. I, I can't. I think they'll struggle to get more than twenty points. They're lucky to get ten, mate. Honestly, I got them for. <laughs> I got them for because Derby. I think it was eleven points, Derby. Mm. So they're doing quite well. Sheffield on five. Yeah. <laughs> But um, no, but you you know what I mean though. It's like you know you know when you yeah, got yeah, that. I, so I agree so, with you, so I agree Stoke, Stoke City had it. Stoke City had it when they were in the Premier League. They had yeah. a raucous home atmosphere. Um, you know, other clubs have had it in the past. You know, Sunderland, um, for example. You know, they have got that home atmosphere where it, you know it don't matter what the style of the play is. You know, the fans are going to get behind you. And as a player, it gives you that extra little boost. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this season, they just don't, they don't have that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I mean. Look at the Swans, mate. We've done way better since the the crowds can't go to the games. Like since the you look at last season, right yeah. after the yeah. um, the break, like we went on a great run, got into the playoffs, and then yeah. So, so that run. I, I I think so. I think certain clubs. So yeah. uh, you know, for example, Manchester United, Everton, Arsenal, um, Villa. Um, you know, they're better with no fans in the ground <laughs> because what happens is. Um, after 20 minutes, as, as soon as you haven't scored a goal and as soon as you start playing side to side and back to back, you hear it straight away in the ground. You start hearing, oh, you know, fuck this, this, that, you know, oh, this is shit. You know, the groans start to happen. I call it the collective groans. Um, and then, you know, they start having a go at the players, getting on their back. Um, and then the players start getting flustered. So I think for certain clubs, it certainly benefits them, you know, not having the fans in the ground. But then what's interesting is you look at Liverpool, and they've been totally flat at home this season, haven't they? Um, and you can tell that they're they're missing the fans in the ground, aren't they? Wait, I honestly, if you were to tell me that we go up and next season there's no fans in the ground, I'll take that as well. Because problem with us, oh, I, think, I think we've got some stage fright or something there. Because like we've we play much better when there's no, particularly at home, because our home fans are. Uh, it's pretty toxic at Liberty. Like it's really toxic. Yeah, you know, Cam- I think for a lot of clubs. Look at United. United's a great example of that. I mean, their fans will go there and their fans want to see them, sm- you know, smack teams 2 3 4 nil. Whereas what you've seen under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is a very, um, you know, lean style of football where they're winning a lot of games 1 nil, um, you know, very defensive. couple of, you know, you know, you've got um, McTominay and, you know, Pogba just sitting there in the middle, um, you know, sort of side to side, back to back. And it's a very sort of, you know, results driven football rather than, you know, the creative flowing, you know, a very aggressive, expansive style of play. And I've no doubt that if fans were in the ground at Old Trafford and they were churning out results like that, you 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 would hear a lot of groans in the ground because people yeah. would be going there thinking, you know, I'm paying, you know, 40, 50, 60 quid to get in the ground and we're just struggling to beat teams 1-0 but I think at the end of the day it's it's it you know football's a funny old beast where it's like sometimes you need as a team you need to go on a run where you're playing that kind of football you know just grinding out the results and then the once you start to turn a corner you'll start playing a bit more expansive football whereas let's let's not kid ourselves you look at teams like you know United and Swansea 
um, you know, quite easily they could be in the bottom half of the table and struggling. Whereas, yeah. you know, you played like the way you are, which is grinding out results and you're at the top. Do you see what I mean? So it's yeah. like, as a fan, you've got to take the, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the rub with the, you know, the rough with the smooth really. Cause it's like, yes, you might not be playing the most expansive style of football when the most attractive football, but you look at where you are in the league and it pays off, doesn't it? Yeah. Honestly, mate, I look, I think of it now is particularly this season and the way how, how the COVID works and that, I don't care about performance anymore. It's the result. I, I'm i happy but, to sit back the whole it, game and then nick but, a goal on the counter but, and win but what, one nil. What I would say is I think a good manager, you know, looks at the cards in front of them and, and, and plays accordingly. And I think so. And, and what does that actually mean? So people at home saying, what, what's the skis are going on about? It's about saying that it's exactly what you said. In the here and now, that's what you're going to need to get results, to get up the table. In 18 months' time, 24 months' time, you're going to need to do something entirely different. You're going to need to play more expansive football. You're going to have to have, you know, a, a different type of player at the club. Whereas at the moment, what you need is just, you know, results football week in, week out. And then down the line, you can worry about the style of football you want to play. And I think a great example is Aston Villa. So last season, you know, Dean Smith, all he wants to do is, is keep them up, right? He's kept them up. He's kept them in the division by hook or by crook. And then this season, what he's done is he's actually gone out and he's looked at the kind of players at the club and he's sort of changed it a bit. He's gone in, he's got a Ross Barkley, someone who can play in the midfield. You look at Ollie Watkins, guy, you know, running behind, he'll stretch the fences, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's really opened up and sort of changed the style of play. And, and you know, I think that's that's exactly it. You've got, you can only play with what you've got and then sort of, you know, what's in front of you. And then a good manager will try and think forward and, and, and look change that up down the line to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you talk about United. Um, what's their chances of winning the league? I don't think they can win it. Um, and the reason I don't think they can win it is I think that they would need to find another gear to their football, um, which I can't see in the current squads. You know, they would need to go to a different level. Um, they'd need to start dominating games a little bit more. Um, and if I look at what they've got at the moment, I think they're not clinical up front. I'm not sold on Rashford as a number nine. Um, Cavani's sort of hit and miss. And um, what's what, what's worrying for them is that Bruno Fernandes is doing it against the lower league sides. But against the top teams, he's not mm. really performing Um you know, all his goals and assists are coming against, you know, the teams which are in, are in the bottom half. So I think in order for United to kick on and go up the table, I think they'd need to find another gear. And it's possible. It is possible for them to do it with, with the personnel they've got. But I just can't see it happening. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, did you watch the, the derby against uh, Liverpool? Mm-hmm. Game. It, it was very flat game, very disappointing, lackluster. It was nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. I mean, United had no. United had one plan, which was to try and get in behind Liverpool. Liverpool sussed it out early and were playing offside trap, and and that was it. And I think my biggest issue with United is I think they go in with what I'd call a very old school four-two-three-one approach, which is two blanket defensive midfielders in Pogba and McTominay or Matic and McTominay or Matic and Pogba, whatever it is. All they're looking to do is sit in front of the fence. Um, I don't think United's fullbacks are the most attacking fullbacks in the league. So I look at, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Shaw and Shaw and Wambasaka. I don't think that's the, the part of the game they excel at. And so really, what they're reliant on is is obviously uh, Bruno Fernandes to try and activate them in the final third. It's a very regimented style of football, and um, I think you know I look at the competition around them, mm. and if Man if Man City 
can kick into gear. So Sergio Aguero, Gabriel Jesus, who both haven't fired this season, can start firing. They will just surge up the table as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, it was looking that way um, till this week. Uh, big news overnight. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, he's out the hamstring injury. Yeah, yeah. Six, yeah, yeah. eight weeks. But, so. but I, don't, I don't think that's it. I don't. So to be brutally honest with you, mate, you look at their statistics, Man City are where they are without any of their players in the top 10 goal scorers in the league. So what I'm saying is that if one of their guys was to go on a run, like an Aguero or Hazut, I don't really rate Hazut. I think he's had lots of opportunities and he's had lots of chances. He's not good enough. Whereas if Aguero, and Aguero is capable of it, if Aguero went on a run, right, I'm just throwing this out there, where he scored 10 goals in 10 games. He's not scored yet, mate. He didn't even score the goal yet. (laughs) Yeah, but, but... but what I'm saying is he's got the quality. Yeah, he? yeah, he has. Do you know what yeah. I mean? The bloke's, the bloke's world-class. He's, yeah. he's proven it you know, over the last decade. But this is what I'm saying to you. If they can find the quality up front, I think teams need to look out. Are you surprised they're not been active in the window in January? Well, yes. Uh, so, so, no, I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah. But, yes, I'm also surprised as well. Because I'm not surprised because you've got to remember all the clubs over here are hurting, mate. And I, 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 I don't know if your viewers quite understand that, you know, your viewers which are based outside, you know, the UK, Europe, understand the gravity of it. So financially, the clubs have been massively hurt by no fans in the grounds. Mm-hmm. So for most clubs, match day income is about 20 to 30 percent of their, their overall income. Um, and then also when you think about it, you've got the merchandise income, which is on top of that. So if you think about that personally, what does that mean for you? Well, imagine you earn you know thousand dollars a week automatically you've lost 30 percent of that so you're down to 700 dollars, and then you might be losing a couple of more hundred dollars so you're down to 500 dollars a week you're not going to be going out spending big are you and i think what you're seeing is that the pandemic is hitting these clubs because they can't go out and spend what they're used to because there's no obviously match day income coming in through the gate and then a lot of the fans are not buying the merchandise etc etc um, so it doesn't surprise me that clubs aren't spending, you know, 50 million here, 70 million now, 20 million now. I mean, uh, a way that clubs are finding some revenue is through Fortnite. You see that? Oh, yeah, mate. It's enough, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Let me get the list up here, mate. Hold on. So there's 23 clubs. You've got AC Milan. You've got um, Atlanta United. You've got Celtic. You've got Inter. You've got Juve. You've got Man City is one of them. So they're struggling for money. And then... Um, the rest, oh, Sydney FC, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, Wolfsburg, Rangers, and a lot of other Tim Pot clubs out there. But uh, <laughs> are you glad that Arsenal's not on that list? <laughs> yeah, well, in a way. But, I mean, we've, we're throwing money down the toilet like there's no tomorrow, isn't it? I mean, you look at we've probably let in the vicinity of £200 million of players go for free. And then you look at the contracts we're handing out to some of these players, and you think to yourself, fucking hell, we're more generous than the, you know, um, UNICEF and some of these organisations <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> well you've got to visit Rwanda someday mate <laughs> Fuck yeah, mad, you, you must be happy though because yeah it's not been great business over the years but you've got rid of Odell, right most of us have gone so I guess I guess from my perspective so um, you know uh, let me just just pick pull this up so um, I spoke with my old boy today and, and, and the old man's been following the Arsenal since 1971. So, you know, circa 50 years. And um, what he was saying is that Arteta coming in is, is very similar to when George Graham took over at the okay. club in the, to, in the in the mid-80s. So 
when when George Graham come in, you know, Arsenal was struggling. We had a couple of big names, but we'd, we'd never really done anything. And then what he's done is he's he's sold off, you know, players like Viv Anderson, Kenny Sampson, Charlie Nicholas, established players, you know, Viv Anderson, Kenny Sampson, England internationals, Charlie Nicholas, you know, Scottish internationals. But they just didn't fit with his, his vision and philosophy in terms of what he was trying to achieve at the club. He wanted players, you know, to work hard, graft and all of that. And, and, you know, they were sort of, you know, more about just trying to play football, have a good time off the pitch, you know what I mean? Party and drinking, <laughs> all, all of that kind of stuff. And the reason he'd done that is because he knew that Arsenal had a great crop of youngsters who, who, who were there. You know, Tony Adam, Mickey Thomas, um, Merson, Roe Castle, um, you know, uh, Kevin Campbell, um, you know, Ray Parler, uh, Perry Gross, all these guys who were going to be the future of the club. And then what he's done is he's gone in, he's got some reliable players who he knows going to play his system, you know, Alan Smith, uh, Steve Bowles, Lee Dixon, um, Nigel Winterburn, etc. And at the time, people thought, you know, George Grove, nuts, why have you sold off your established players? You're bringing in, you know, the academy boys and, you know, a couple of other players who potentially don't have that sort of, you know, world-class, you know, reputation. But, you know, he's won the Littlewoods Cup in, in 87, so the League Cup. Um, then he's won the league in Anfield in 89. Um, you know, won it again in 91. He's picked up sort of FA Cups along the way, League Cups, you know, the Cup Winners Cup, etc, etc. And I can see see massive parallels of what Arteta's done, where he's looked at the players who have not bought into the culture. So, so there was obviously a massive clip there of players like Ozil, Kolasinac, Mustafi, etc. Um, others who, who weren't pulling their weight. And he said, look, this is not what I want. I can see there's a bunch of talented youngsters who are hungry, they want to achieve. Players like Tierney Holding, who are grafters, you know, some other players who, you know, got the potential. Um, and then he's obviously brought in Partey in the middle. You've got Abamyang who's there, you know, who, who's a proven goal scorer. So I can see what Arteta is actually trying to do, if that makes sense. And I know that's a bit of a ramble there, but it, it, I kind of get it. It's just the problem is you kind of got to buy into the vision and see where it takes you. Do you think that's, is that through Arteta's planning or is that, out of necessity because you know this is the players he's got uh he's got a lot of deadwood there but then he's got a crop of young talent very raw talent there and do you think it's him planning himself or is it because this the situation's in he has to play the kids no i, I don't because you know when he turned up you had players for example like if he wanted to he could have played ozil he could have played mikatarian um other players of, of that caliber whereas i think for his style of play, which is that high energy, you know, a bit of press, you know, very defensive discipline, breaking on the counter, I think he's realised this is what I need to do. And I think because he's looked at the young players at his disposal, he's realised, hang on, I don't need to go out to the market because I've got half of the problem solved already in the sense that I've inherited Tierney's great left back. Mm. I've got Bellerin who can go up and down. I've got Saka, who's you know looks like he's going to be someone who's going to get seventy plus England caps the way he sort of burst onto mm, the okay. scene. I've got Smith Rowe, um, et cetera, et cetera, and he's brought in a bit of quality of party. So I think it's a bit of both, Eddie, if I'm honest with you. And I think his biggest problem with I think the established players there is they've underachieved for such a long period of time. Um, and I don't know if you've seen Theo Walcott's quote when he came out the other week, where he basically said the problem with Arsenal for such a long period of time is they're just too nice. Um, you know, we, we had what it needed to take to win cups, but in terms of winning the league, we just weren't ruthless enough. And I think Arteta's looked around the dressing room, he's looked at the players who've been there for a while, had a good shake of it, and said, You know, you've had an opportunity, you're not up to scratch, it's time to move on. And I think that's fair enough. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, it's good, mate. It's good that you must be excited for 
what's the camp? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there's a few things which need to happen. He's clearing out the deadwood. So, you know, Kalasinac is gone. Uh, Socrates is gone. Ozil's gone. Um, you know, David Luiz will be gone in the summer. Mustafi will be gone in the summer. He's starting to give the youngsters chances. Um, I think inevitably he needs to go and, and get a couple of more players in, in terms of the midfield, attacking, you know, attacking midfield options. And then he needs to look at his forward line as well um, in terms of what 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 the ideal front three is for him. Um, you know, bearing in mind the youngsters he's got at his disposal and then, you know, some of the established players. Because the reality is at the Arsenal is the established players, you know, the senior pros have been underperforming for a long time. You know, players like uh, Shaka, Ozil, David Luiz, um, Lacazette, you know, these guys have not been operating at the level they should have been operating at. Um, you know, even William, he's come in, he's been dog shit. And, you know, he's trying to make excuses about the change from Chelsea to Arsenal, but the bloke's on 250 grand a week. Um, so, you know, I think the senior <laughs> pros have, have really not been good enough at the Arsenal. So I think Arteta is coming in and he's creating what I call a no excuses culture. Whereas yeah. I think previously under Emery and Wenger, these players, have, well, not so much Emery. I think Emery was unlucky, actually. I think under Wenger, definitely, though, the players have been allowed to get away with a lot. Yeah, I mean, how close do you reckon Arteta was from the sack? He's never going to get the sack, Edzi, I think. So, the problem with a lot... So, I think the one thing I'd say about Arsenal, and, and, and I think this is something I'd give the club credit for, is I think if you look at, as far as boards go, uh, you know, the football board and, and, the, and how our football you know, sort of management governance processes. We're very conservative as a club. You know, we don't, we're not happy. No, we're not, we're not trigger happy. Do you know what I mean? You look at Wenger. I mean, Wenger could have gone years before they decided to move him on. Do you know what I mean? There were so many different occasions where, where they could have, but they didn't. Very conservative. Same with Emery. I mean, yeah. with Emery, they gave him every chance, if, if that makes sense. And really, it was just because, the results were so bad. And I think Arteta was always going to get the season. Um, he was never going to get sacked because effectively, I think they were willing to, to back in the, the manager. And that's the one thing where I'll give the Arsenal board credit is that they always back the manager. But where I think they do themselves a disservice is sometimes they don't move the manager on early enough. Okay. And I think the greatest example of that is Wenger. So if you remember, um, he won the FA Cup uh, ending a nine-year trophy drought in 2014. And then he backed it up, winning the FA Cup again in 2015. And then around that time, you had that crop of managers who become available, Guardiola, Klopp, Conte and Mourinho. Now, obviously, we were never going to go for Mourinho for historical reasons, and, and <laughs> rightly so. Um, but if you'd, got, if, uh, if you'd got in any of those three, Klopp, Guardiola, Conte, they would have improved Arsenal immensely. And, 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 and I'm sure... They all would have loved to have come to the clubs. I know Guardiola at the time would have loved to have come to the Arsenal. Um, and we subs- we didn't move. Um, and subsequently, Conte, Guardiola, uh, Klopp, all come into England. They all won Premier Leagues, cup competitions, you name it, etc., etc. Whereas we went backwards. And we, f- we made the change. But the problem is we made the change three years too late. So by the time we moved on Wenger in 2018... A lot of the players, the contracts had been run down or, you know, they'd moved on. And the new manager, Emre, who came in, didn't actually have a lot to work with. And then the problem is our rivals had moved on. City's kicked on. Liverpool's kicked on. Chelsea's kicked on. So at that time, when Leicester won the league in, in I think it was 2015. 15, um, 16, we, yeah. 
Yeah, 15, 16, sorry. Mm-hmm. We finished second, right? Whereas if you'd made the move at that time, we could have been on a level playing field, whereas now we're, we're miles behind. Yeah. And so that's down to the boards. You know what I mean? The board should have been more proactive there because, you know, Wenger was, was, was finished, right? The bloke was, you know, great manager for us, but he's puffed his best. And so that's where I think the board has to come into a lot of criticism because of the actions which they made has had a domino effect, which has set us back effectively six years. Yeah, I mean, considering the start that you had the season, do you think top four is we should be aiming for, or is a top six or top even a top ten? Like, what what would you consider a successful season this year? For us, we've got to finish in the top four. Um, I think anything outside the top four is an unsuccessful season. Um, when I look at what we're playing what we're paying our senior pros. So guys like Aubameyang, Shaka, Lacazette, William, David Luiz, you know, these guys aren't on a pro bono contract basis. Um, you know, when I look at the competition around us, we need to be pushing into the top four. Where it makes it really difficult is the likes of William, Pepe, um, Aubameyang, you know, Shaka, Lacazette have not been at their best this season. And what you're seeing is that the kids who are meant to be the supporting act have actually turned up and they're the main stage act if that makes mm. sense and so our problem is we need the senior pros to step up um and if the senior pros don't step up we're in we're in trouble but you know i'm, I'm optimistic that we'll start to get a tune out of them uh, but we've got to finish top four and uh, that's the got that's got to be the goal for us you know anything other than that is, is disappointing um and i think you've got to set yourself an ambitious target as a club like arsenal okay who do you think you're going to replace then to be in the top four so the way this season goes, I think United and City are going to be nailed on top four. I think they've shown an, enough resilience about them. And, and what I always look at is, is, is games lost. And I look at those two and I think, yep, they look good. You know, they've got a bit of resilience. Now, with Leicester, we all know what Leicester like to do. They, they fly at the start of the season and then you sort of have a, have a massive dip. <laughs> it's... Um, you know, we've seen it last season where they were nailed on for top four and then somehow managed yeah, to... Yeah, no. It's the Brenda effect, mate. He's a bottler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, and then exactly, the Vardy's exactly. out now, isn't he? With a hernia, the old cunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying we're going to finish top four. So I, but I'm saying we should, with the players we have, we should be... Yeah, I agree with what you said at the start, mate. A lot of teams are slipping. Yeah, a lot of so, teams slip in team... injuries, games, and hand all this stuff, yeah, and yeah. are still quietly going about their business. <laughs> so, um, so I think so. Let me, let me, let me. So, I think Tottenham. I think they're going to self-implode. It'll be the Mourinho effect. It's yeah. already starting to happen. So, Tottenham will implode. But they um, have Spurs have got uh, the next league game is Liverpool, isn't it? So that game's mm, a massive yeah. game for both yeah. teams. So, Tottenham will self-implode. Chelsea are fucked. Uh, you know, Frank's the Frank effect has taken <laughs> over, you know. What about Everton? You know? What's happening with Everton? I think Everton's biggest problem is their squads, mate. I think Ancelotti's pumped so much into that squad. Yeah. I think he's given them a world-class mentality and everything like that. But I think the problem is the players. And I think... You, so So give, let me give you an example. Cal, um, you look at how... Hammers uh, Rod, um, Rodriguez has come in. He's brought in a world class dimension to that squad. But you can see he's operating at a different level to the rest of the players. Um, and, and I think the biggest problem with Everton is there's a bit of a lack of belief in that squad. Um, yeah, I agree. That, that they should finish top four when you look at what they, the mixture they've got in that team. But I think there's a little bit of a lack of belief. 
Well, because not done um, it before, you know. It's the thing. None, none, look, none correct, of the yeah. have got have done it in the Premier League. They're not experienced in winning anything. <laughs> so it's like it's like so, I, I agree with you say it. Like it's like Gordon Ramsay going to work at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it's like. So, so, so my my ideal top four would be um, combination of you know City, United, Everton, Arsenal. You know, I'd love to see Liverpool finish outside the top four. I'd love to see Chelsea obviously flop and Tottenham flop. So that would be my ideal uh, top four. <sighs> I've got Villa doing well, eh? Because they've got games. No, I, I don't. I, yes, so they're out of all the cups. Agreed. Mm. So they're out. Of, they are out of all the cups, which and they've got the games in hand. They've got two, I think. Yeah, the biggest problem for them, which I foresee, is I don't think they've quite got the firepower in the squad. Um, I, I think they're I think they're a couple short. You look at what they've got coming. So you know, yeah, you got Watkins in there. You have got Barkley. You've got you know Grealish, etc. But when you look at what they got coming off the bench, I just don't think they've got enough game changers there. That's my honest opinion. I think they will comfortably get in the top half of the table, but I don't think see them pushing for top four, mate. I think Watkins would need to go on an absolute goal-scoring run, um, <laughs> and I, I just don't see that. They need to go down to Brentford and nick another player, Josh De Silva yeah. or someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone yeah. take Canas so, away from Brentford. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think West Ham, Southampton, um, you know, Villa, they will comfortably finish in the top so far, but I don't yeah. think they're going to push on. Oh, I, I reckon you guys might do something, eh? As long as this bad run of most teams continue, like, I reckon... Yeah. We need to, as long as we need to start scoring goals. So yeah. Bami Yang needs, needs to drop the captaincy. He needs to wake up and just start doing whatever he needs to do to, to kick in the goals. Because our problem is we, we haven't... You know, we've played 19 games this season, scored 23 goals. What's that on? What's that about? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting, mate. It's, it'll, it'll come down to City United, I think, for the league. Um, City have got City. the defence. That's the thing. They've got the defence. Yeah. Um, um, the, the geezer who's coming at the back, um, he's playing alongside Laporte and Stones. Um, Diaz. Diaz. He's been yeah. different class for them, mate. Um, he's, he's So, you know what? I mean... They lost an absolute man mountain at the back, a colossus of Vincent Company. And, um, you know, anyone who knows football knows you can't just go and replace players like that. It, it's, it's not as simple as one in, one out. And I think it's obviously taken them sort of 18 months to get the replacement, but they finally got him with, with Diaz. And you can see that, you know, when so Stones is a, so John Stones is a typical centre half where he needs to have someone alongside him um, who has that sort of solidness about him. And, You've seen Diaz in there. He's a rock at the back, mate. And, um, you know, Stones, he's been, been brilliant the last few games. And obviously, when Laporte comes back in, they'll have that, that quality as well. Yeah, I mean, Stones, uh, another player that deserves some credit. I think he's been pretty good last few games. And also, like, from Arsenal's perspective, um, Rob Holden's been pretty good too. Well, the thing about Holden, right, and I mean, this is... So, I guess you've got to go back and say... So, Holden was playing brilliant football in the... Um, it was in the 18-19 season. He's then done his ACL um, at the just before Christmas, I think, 2018. He's then out for a long period of time. He comes back in um, midway through. Well, mid. Well, he comes back in just before the COVID um, break, I think. And then he's um, he's then obviously had, we've had the COVID break and all of that. And then he's come back in. So you've got to remember the guys come back from a massive injury ACL. Prior mm. to that, the bloke was on fire. We went on that 16-game unbeaten run. Um, and 
now he's he's got his game fitness, he's got his confidence back, and the, his quality. I mean, what Rob Holding offers you is that old school British centre half where he's strong in the tackle, he's good in the air, positionally you know what he's going to do, and and that's it. He's a solid seven out of ten performer each week. And Arsenal, Arsenal's missed that. Arsenal have missed a player like Rob Holding. We've missed a player like Bellary, um, sorry, like Tierney, a grafter, left back. You know what you see is what you get. Works hard. Um, you know, you add in Pablo Mari, Gabriel, solid centre halves, and our defence is actually solid, mate. You know, we have got one of the best defences now in, in the league. It's all gone full circle, really, when, when you look at it, um, which is mad because for you know 15 years, I've if I had a pound for the amount of times I've had, I've called out the lack of quality at the back in terms of solid defensive players, I'd be a retired multi-millionaire by now, mate. Do you know, what I mean, I'd be sitting on some island off the you know, the coast of New Zealand, mate, you know, the, you know, the Cook Islands or something, do you know what I mean, with a massive mansion somewhere. Uh, whereas we finally sorted out the problems at the back. So, yeah, Rob Holding's been class, Tierney's been class, Pablo Mari, brilliant, Gabriel, brilliant. Uh, it, it's, it's good, it's good to see. Let's talk about the sack race. Okay, so, uh, you seen the website, the sack race? It looks at like different yeah, managers. Yeah, the yeah, I, know I love the it, race, I love yeah. it. So, um, right now, Steve Bruce is doing quite well. <laughs> he's likely to get sacked next, but Frank Lampard's right under him right now on the odds. Yeah. So I'm just, I pulled it up now. So you've got Frank Lampard who's four to seven. Bruce, Bruce is five to two. Wild is six to one. Potter, 14 to one. Oh, good. Hodgson, 20 to one. Nudo, oh, that's a bit Sanso. harsh on, on old Roy. <laughs> Come on, man. So if I looked at this, I think... Who's next? Who's Lamp- next? With, so the thing with Newcastle, I, what's going to save Bruce is the fact that everyone else has been so poor this season, if that makes sense. So it's difficult to sack Bruce where if he wins two games, for example, they go up to 10th, if, if that makes sense. Mm. I reckon he'll get sacked. I'm not saying he's the next one to get sacked, but when he gets sacked, when he when it does happen, he will get sacked. Um, Eddie Howe will come in. Yeah, I agree with that. Agree with that, that. What I'm saying is... Put your money on it, boys. Uh, Put your money on it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. But at the moment, it would—it's silly to sack him because you know he's literally two or three wins away from um, flying up the table. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Uh, for me, Lampard's a dead man walking, mate. If I'm yeah. honest with you, he's a dead man. The, I, the, the, the writing was on the wall, though. When when the sign-ins came in for Havertz, Vernon, and whoever else they brought in, it was it was there. We all knew that if he wasn't top by Christmas. Or likely to win the league by Christmas, he was gone, and he's gonna. Yeah, and he's got. Let's be honest, with you, he's got a tough run of games. He's got Wolves, Burnley, and Tottenham as his next three games, which is going to be absolutely, absolute. Wolves are going to go there and give him hell because Wolves need a result. Burnley, you know what they're about. They are just dogged team, and then Tottenham away. That I mean, that's a London derby. Do you know what I mean? That is a tough. That's a tough three games, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? He's looking at that thinking, bloody hell, you know, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at us. But then it gets better after that because you've got Sheffield United and Newcastle. So if I was Lampard, I'd basically be saying to the boys, look, these next three games define my managerial career. I need, (laughs) do you know what I mean? I need you to get basically nine points out of this. (laughs) No, honestly, the only thing helping him is because he's a club legend. That's the only thing helping him right now. Yeah, that, that uh, buys think... him. That buys him all those years of service to Chelsea. Buys him an extra month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, should be, he should be gone. Yeah, he should be gone. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. okay. Agreed. So I think the problem is though is that if you're a Chelsea, so so I'm playing devil's advocate here. If you okay. get rid of Lampard, who are you going to bring in? Tuchel. 
Or Allegri yeah, or some 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 yeah, foreign Tuchel manager. Allegri have done well. Um, I've always said that Chelsea. The reason, so, so I'll be honest. I hate Chelsea. I hate I hate the fans. I hate the club. I hate the owner. I hate every, everything about them. To me, is plastic. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing substantial about that club. I just, you know, I can't stand them. I ain't got a problem with the players. The players you know, they're just there for the money and all of that. But that entire club is just entirely artificial. Um, you know, yeah. they've almost every Rose's tits. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you know, it's so it's so funny because they've tried to airbrush their history. You, you look at Stamford Bridge now; it's just a joke. You know, atmosphere in the ground. It's awful, absolutely awful place. But but um, you know, it's um. It's one of them where it's like, I look at it now and I think to myself, you're 100% right. I mean, their problem is that they sack the managers they shouldn't sack and then they keep the managers they shouldn't keep. Yeah. And the, the best example is Conte. The bloke wins the league title in his first season, wins the FA Cup in his second season, he gets sacked. Think to yourself, what are you doing? And they bring in Sarre. Sarre. It's, it's, it's never an improvement, is it? It's like you brought in a guy... I mean, this Don, you know, Conte was a Don, mate. Do you know what I mean? He's come in <laughs> with, with the like. You look at who was about at the time. Do you know what I mean? You know, you've got um, you know, Guardiola floating about. You've got, you know, Klopp. You've got, do you know what I mean? Yeah. The bloke's come in. He's, he's won the league. He's followed up with the FA Cup. An absolute Don of a performance. Like, he's different, different class, man. Like, he's murked off the competition. Yeah. And he got the sack. And he's gone to into Milan, isn't he? And they're they're, hmm. they're fighting for the league now, so it's like, well, it shows you that he's a good manager. But this is what I'm saying. But Chelsea done it before when they got rid of Ancelotti, if you remember. Um, yeah, that's right. They got rid of Ancelotti, and then you know it didn't really happen after that. Um, they brought in that twat ABB, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and then you could say that Di Matteo was dead unlucky after winning the FA Cup and the Champions League that he didnn't get kept on. <laughs> AVB is literally the Portuguese version of Mark Hudson, who's yeah, the, he's the former useless, New Zealand he, coach. He was awful. Yeah, useless, useless, nice useless. bloody suits and that dress really nicely, but yeah. nothing, no substance. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, it, it's, it's like so they always are one step forward, two steps back. It's it, it's the reason why you know they can't have sustained success. Just like they bring someone in, he's unsuccessful, sack him. Bring someone in, successful, sack him. It's, it's, it's a way. Yeah. It's like a. It's a round. It's a round. It's a merry-go-round, isn't it? Really. It's funny, mate. Like if you look at the story of the whole season so far, in terms of who the media are trying to target, you know. So Ollie was the first hit. Second was Arteta. Third, who we got third? There's another foreign manager that's been criticised. Who, who's after Arteta? Would you say? I mean, Mourinho will probably get it soon, right? If they don't win the next few games. Um. I, I think, to be honest, with you the play, the the manager who's actually got a lot of stick is um is Bielsa with the way Leeds. Oh played. yeah, but he, uh, he, it's uh, a free hit though because Leeds yeah, weren't no, 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 of course, yeah, yeah. They, weren't, they they just want to stay up, right? Uh, but yeah. it shows you that Leeds aren't as good as the team as people thought they'd be. If you get me, no. But well, I think the problem is they're not as good as a team as people thought they would be, and they're not as bad either. Yeah. They've landed in the middle, and it's one of them where it's like you can take it either way, Eddie. Mm. If that makes sense. Uh, but no, I think obviously first and foremost was Oli, second yeah. was Arteta. But the reason why those two were the targets is there's no hanging fruit because you've got both both sets of, so both clubs have got set, big sets of fans on social media who are very volatile. So all you need is a couple of bad results and they will yeah. come flying out of the woodworks. But it's all about a fo- I think it's foreign and it's foreign bias, mate. It, it's sort of look at Lampard, look at um, Steve Bruce. 
they're not getting the stick. Hodgson at Palace, however. You know, they, yeah, they're not getting the stick they should have because they're English. Do you mean? I think the next, I think the next one they're going to come for, mate, is Nuno Santos at Wolves. Trust. Yeah. yeah. I reckon he's, he's next in the yeah. fire. Firing line. Um, <clears throat> what's in? What's interesting, and I think what I can't understand is the way the football fraternities rallied around Jurgen Klopp. I think it's, oh, it's yeah, BS, that's right. mate. That's right. It's, yeah. no, it's BS. Oh, so before I come on the pod, I've been watching you know Sky Sports and Gunbits, but mate, I've heard the absolute biggest you know Liverpool, Liverpool, mate. I've got to say it to you. The ex-players are delusional. The fans are delusional. I mean, what the <laughs> hell's going on? Uh, do you know what? Jamie Carragher has said that Mane, Salah, Firmino, average age of 28, are coming to the end. What's the bloke going on about? They've got three or four years left at their at the top of their park. I mean, every Liverpool fan and manager is coming out of the woodwork with excuses. It's unbelievable, yeah. mate. I've never seen anything like it, mate. You're telling me you've got what? Van Dijk gets injured at the back and it's the end of the world, mate. The reality is, is because their style of football is totally unsustainable because all they do is run, 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 run. It's the high press and all of that kind of stuff. But, I mean, the excuses I'm hearing are absolutely codwild. I think, cod I think the argument there is that um, if you look at all the great, you know, attacking lineups in the Premier League history, right, they're not really together for too long. They're like maybe together for two or three seasons, whereas these guys, those, those front three have been together for maybe four or five seasons now. So it's getting a bit yeah, stale. Yeah, yeah, no. It's yeah, becoming a bit but, stale. So, I, yes, so I don't disagree with that. But what I'm saying is you can't say that those players shouldn't be at the peak of their game. You look at their age. Yeah. It's not It's not like, for example, they're 33, 34. <laughs> yeah, I, I, get you say, I get they're you in, They're in the peak of their career. Yeah. So for me, that argument just does not fly. I, I just think of it in a different way. Like the, the partnership... That partnership's probably seen its course now. They probably just need to get rid of one player. Like for me, though, if they bring in a better striker in that three, then they might be yeah. coming again, right? So that's the thing. So I totally agree with what you're saying now. So I don't disagree with it. So has the partnership got stale? Yes. Yeah. Are the players not at their? Are the play? So, but when they are saying that the you know the players are 28, 29, that doesn't buy with me. The players are at their. So Carragher has categorically come out saying, oh, the players are in their late 20s. You know, they're starting to get ready. That's rubbish. I'm sorry, <laughs> Jamie. You know I mean? That's nonsense. Um, agreed. But I think the problem is Jurgen Klopp. So if you look at the best managers, the best managers who are at their peak, they know that in order to stay at the top, they need to be two steps ahead. And so I'll give you two examples. So the first one is, is Arsene Wenger. Comes into Arsenal, very you know, world-class partnership up front with Ian Wright and Dennis Bergkamp. Wrighty finishes, uh, you know, he's up there in, in the golden boot in, in 96, 97. But, you know, Wenger can see the writing on the wall, can see he's getting old, brings in Nicholas and Elka. People think, what are you bringing Nicholas and Elka in? You've got Wrighty for. Proofs in the pudding. We won, them on the, we won the league in 97, 98. Wrighty gets sold and Elka then kicks on. Um, has, has, has a great season. Fergie, same thing again. So United have got Beckham, who arguably was at the peak of his powers in sort of the early 2000s, and Ruud van Esteroy, who's knocking him in for fun. Now, he moves both of those players on. Why does he move both of those players on? Because he's got young Rooney and Ronaldo in the wings. Mm. Couple of rocky seasons, but they go on to win three league titles on the bounce, Champions League trophies, and then they keep kicking on. So I think the best managers are always a couple of years ahead, if that makes sense in terms of their thinking. Because I think the problem with Klopp 
is he's not fought ahead. He's literally won the league with that with that squad last season. And the, the only thing he's really done, and, and we all had doubts about Firmino, let's be honest, I, I've always said he doesn't score enough, and a lot of people have said that, too reliant on Mane and Salah, etc., etc. Not enough goals from midfield, um, you know, etc., etc. Uh, but Klopp's not fought, you know, ahead in terms of thinking, well, hang on, what happens if there's challenges here? He just thinks he can keep cracking on, cracking on, cracking on. Yeah. And that's where I think you're right, Edzie. I think you're seeing it all unfold now. Look at the players like Trent Alexander-Arnold. Like, from an English perspective, the national team, where do you see him playing? Overrated, mate. That, so like, first, no, I'm going to go I'm, I'm going into the team. No, no, I don't see. I'm going to go in on Alexander-Arnold right yeah. now. He's got to be the most overrated. <laughs> as a defender, he's the most overrated fullback I've seen in a long time. Because mm. as a defender, your job is to defend. One on one, he's very average. Going forward, he's very good. What does that mean overall? It means you've got an okay defender. Now, for me, you've got a bloke in Wambasaka. He's brilliant one-on-one. Absolute class. Yes, he's not as good going forward, but for me, I'll have him in the squad all day long because I want someone who can defend. Whereas what Liverpool should do with Alexander-Arnold is do what Bayern Munich done with Philip, Philip Lahm, bring him into the midfield. I think he'd be a brilliant defensive midfielder. But for me, massive question marks on him defensively one-on-one. And what's even more worrying about that is you look at Liverpool, you've got Henderson and Fabinho, probably two of the best defensive midfielders in the league who do drop in. It's not like other teams where the midfielders bomb on. So you think to yourself, if you didn't have those two out, they'd be shipping in loads more goals, wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, you know, Eddie, call me out if you think I'm being harsh on Alexander-Arnold, but I just think he's overrated, mate. Yeah, yeah. You just missed out on Nico Williams, that's all. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh mate, um, let's uh, let's drop down to the championship. Uh, some big news this week: Wayne Rooney, he's retired as a player. He's full time manager now at Derby County. Mm, we, interesting. But you see, if you look back at um, uh, Rooney's career, like is he the greatest English player of all time? So, I think first and foremost, what I would say is there's a massive issue in England. I think people in England love the underdog. So, you know, they love the young person coming up through the ranks. But then as soon as you get established, you know, the establishment will try and tear you down, if that makes sense, because you become a bit of a disruptor. I look at Wayne Rooney. He's a young scouser, you know, from from Toxtiff or Crocstiff, whatever it is in, in Liverpool, very working class background. You know, comes into the Everton side at 16 years old. has an amazing debut, et cetera, et cetera. He's that well, street called against you guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember it. I remember the game against Seaman. Um, <laughs> He's a street footballer um, who you know makes it pro. He's not a professional footballer in in the in the you know in the traditional sense, but you, you know he's he's basically one of us who loves the game. You know he loves a pint and a and a curry on the weekend or, or whatever it is. And a few grannies. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, you know. Um, uh, but but I think I think the biggest problem with the English media is we never recognise the qualities in our own. And when you look at so let's look at the statistics. He's England's all time top goal scorer and Manchester United's top time all goal scorer. Mm. For me, you, in order to get there, you've got to be world-class. You're never going to be England's top goal scorer and Man United's top goal scorer if you're not world-class. So Rooney is undoubtedly world-class. I think the biggest problem with Rooney is he's a victim of his own success where he can play off the left, he can play off the right, he can play off the middle, he can play as a number 10, he can play a bit deeper. And I think him being the ultimate team man has maybe come at a success from an individual perspective in a very loose term, in the sense that if you want to compare him to Ronaldo and Messi, 
you kind of can't do that because they're in a different league. But then when you look at what he's done in the overall context of his game, in the sense of his England top goal scorer, Man United top goal scorer, he's only ever going to be remembered as an absolute legend and world-class player. I don't care what you say, that has to be the, the way you remember him. Mm. With a look back at Wayne Rooney, I remember Euro 2004. Was it Croatia? No, uh, it was in uh, it was in Portugal. No, no. Did they? Who did he score two goals against in the group stage? Oh, sorry, no, that was Croatia. Sorry, I thought it was you were Croatia, that was country. It? Yeah, it was Croatia. Yeah, yeah. I always remember him for that. The silver boots, right? Yeah. So he was on fire. So remember, it, he was on fire, and then but, he, but he was the best player time. at the tournament for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, yeah, he was on fire. But I think the problem with Rooney is he is he never found his best position um, as a footballer. He sort of just played here, there, everywhere. Um, and if I'm brutally honest with you, I think the problem with Rooney is he come 10 years too late. I think back in the day, in an old school 4-4-2, he would have been brilliant just behind the striker. So uh, does a great player make a great coach? Um, yeah, I mean, this is the, you know, the long, you know, the old age question, you know what I mean? You know, multi-million pound question. I, I think for me, they don't. It, it, the two are very different. I think, just because you've had a great career as a coach doesn't mean you're going to have a great career as a manager. I think ultimately there are three types of managers and you've got to work out which one you are very quickly. There is the dictator, you know, a.k.a. the Alex Ferguson. You've got a visionary, you know, a.k.a. a Guardiola or an Arsene Wenger. And then, you know, you've got the, the manager who, you know, the squad loves, you know, the father figure, that kind of Jurgen Klopp, Klopp guy, you know, the person who kind of puts an arm around everyone in the squad. And I don't think it really matters if you've played the game or not in order to do that. But I think the problem with a lot of ex-pros, and and you've seen it with people like Roy Keane, you know, you've seen it with others such as the Neville brothers, et cetera, et cetera, is that <laughs> because they played the game at such a high level, they will go at, at they will go into a dressing room and expect everyone to be at the same standard they were as a player, yeah, yeah, yeah. if that you. makes sense. I get and yeah. so, and, and the problem with that is that in theory, it's right, but in application, it's not. Because unless you're playing for a top, top, top club, you can't go into a, Champions League, a championship side like Derby, who are you know effectively just above the relegation zone. They're two points above the drop. And... To, well, and, and you know, they, they will go back into the relegation zone if results play out with the game in hand and say to them, well, I expect you to play like this because that's what a footballer should do because you just haven't got that quality in the dressing room. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that reminds me so much of um, when Michael Laudrup came to Swansea. Now, Laudrup in the 80s and early 90s, like one of the best players to come from Denmark, play for you know both Barcelona and Real Madrid. And um, when he came to Swansea, I think what I think what started the the sort of the the rift between him and like the old guard in the club, the few snakes there, Gary Monk and others, um, was the fact that he would join in the training sessions and he'd make yeah. them look ridiculously bad. He was yeah. doing he was doing keeping ups, everything like skinning players, and I think that sort of rubbed particularly the old guard, the wrong way because he was just outdoing them. But like, no one can disagree. His record's great with us. He won us a league cap, you know, got us into Europe. Um, but I think little things like that, really. I've heard stories with, um, what's his face? Um, 
the English guy from um, Spears, um, Glenn Hoddle. Oh, Hoddle. Hoddle, yeah. yeah, he, yeah he was yeah, exactly yeah. the same thing. Like, he was skin players and training, and that's what it rubs players off the wrong way because, like, okay, my manager's making me look like a real white dick here, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think to be honest with you, like I, I get that side of it as well. But I think the problem is, is that playing is totally different to management. Um, I think as a manager, you've got, there's a few things. It's about how, how do you get the best out of the players you've got at your disposal? Um, how do you look forward ahead to the future to say, this is what I want to do you know, a couple of years down the line? And then also, how do you stay up to date with the changes and the trends in football? So those three things are, are so difficult. And I think... When you look at it through the player lens, you're never going to have any mileage or any success. Because as a player, all you want to do is, is is play and be successful. You're not really, in, unless you're the club captain or a massive team player, you're not too interested in what's going on around you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas as a manager, and I think this is the, the problem with the modern manager as well, is you've also got to be thinking, well, hang on, what's going on in the youth academy? Um, what's going on in terms of recruitment, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many factors and things which come into it. And I think it, it really is really is difficult. And I think, so for me, well, I think that if you played the game at a high level, you've got an immediate advantage in the sense that you know what a good team should be doing and what a good team should be playing like. But then from a man management perspective and from a tactics perspective, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got a one-up at all. Yeah. I think there's a balance there. You, you want to, let's say a player that's become a coach, a sort of balance of, yeah, I play the high level, but maybe someone that towards the end of their playing career is sort of on the bench type of thing where you can actually look at and see things from a different lens, if you get me, and then progress into or transition into a manager. Because if you go from the field straight to a managing role, it's sort of like you've missed a lot of things that you might not have been aware of, if you get me as a player? Oh, 100%, 100%. And and I think really what it comes down to is that as a manager, it's looking broader, exactly like Mm. you said. You've got to look at what's the youth academy doing? You know, what young players have we got coming through? You know, uh, what are the needs of my players? What are the needs of the senior pros versus the junior guys who are coming through? What are the needs of the foreign guys versus the local guys? There's all sorts of considerations which which come into play. What's the style of football I want to play based on the squad which I've got at my disposal? And, I think you're right. Unless you've taken a step back from the football where, for example, I'm a right back and my job is just to bomb up, do what I need to do, put my crosses in, come back on on, on the defence, et cetera, et cetera, and, and do what I need to do. It's a totally different way of thinking. And I think it, it's difficult because I think a lot of the top ex-pros come in and they say to players, you know, I expect you to be world-class. I expect you to do your job in your position, go out and play. It's not that simple. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk about managers in the championship. Uh, I have to talk about this, mate. I have to. Just to rub it in even more. Uh, Cardiff have finally sacked Neil Harris after a, ba- after a bad run of five defeats on the trot. They're uh, 17 points behind us now on the table. They're out of the FA Cup. Uh, it's not looking good. And uh, they've, uh, they've just uh, appointed uh, Mick McCarthy for the remainder of the season. <laughs> Preparing for League One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Mick McCarthy is one of the old school manager legion, isn't he? You romp, you romp him in there with like Sam Allardyce, David Moyes, uh, you know... Uh, Warnock. Neil Warnock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brucey. Um, fucking hell. It's just... <laughs> 
it's uh i woke yeah, up this morning go- mate i just i i, I can i say i believed i couldn't believe no of course i could believe it it's cardiff they they, they do all super shit all the time but this is the, it just takes the pits this one like honestly like like you said yeah like you said mate there's there's dinosaurs in the game still and they're hanging on to their jobs for dear life now i feel that this is um sam Allardyce's last job in the big time this is no one will touch him again uh tony Pulis, he um he got sacked from sheffield wednesday actually the season so that's him gone i think from the from the top um you've got mark hughes has not been a job for 28 since 2018 so i thought hughes he might have been keen on the car job but obviously i haven't got the money to pay for him so he's out of it then you've got um, Moise, who's doing quite well at West Ham. We'll leave him there. Um, Warnock, he's at the end of his career um, at Borough. Um, but apart from that, like I just feel like th- these old dinosaurs who were effective 10 to 15, maybe 20 years ago, are le- at least effective now because it's like the game has moved on. You know, we can't be playing fucking hoofball. I mean, it doesn't work anymore. You know, so it's this, this is sort of like... As a if a you know, if I was a Cardiff fan, I'd be I'd be worried right now because it's like we've got no plan. You know, what is our strategy here? Um, what's our philosophy? Like we keep hiring these fucking hoofball merchants, do you mean? <laughs> and it's not working, you know. And Mick McCarthy, like they, I, I read some comments this morning, like, oh, Mick McCarthy, he's a great championship manager. Promotions with you know. Uh, Wolverhampton and Sunderland that was 15 to 16 years ago by the way so what was he done in the last 15 16 years fucking nothing so you brought in a manager who's living off past success um you know and if I'd be looking down the road mate look you know as a Cardiff fan looking at what Swansea's doing right now I'll be like fuming right now and the the derby's coming up in March and we're going to dick them again so it ain't looking good mate <laughs> they looking good for them. I'm laughing my head off because the guy, um, Max Waters, right? Fucking pleb. So Swansea were looking at signing this kid from Crawley, yeah? He chooses the scum because they pay him a million pounds. And then literally on that weekend, they get knocked out of the FA Cup. And then we win our game. We're like, okay, sweet. Hope you're liking that, Max. You're having, an absolute, you're, 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 you're having an absolute Saturday sing-song here, aren't you, Eddie? You're loving this every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. It's been it. No, look. I, I agree with everything which you've said there. I think, do, do you know what it comes down to? And um, the biggest problem with these guys is that they're still on the tools. So yeah. do, you remember, do you remember what Alex Ferguson done? So he, towards probably the last 10 years of his managerial career, he, he stepped off the tools. He brought in people like Rene Mulston. Um, remember, remember Rene, um, you know, Fulham manager for a little bit. And... Um, uh, Mike Phelan as well, I think it was, and yeah, he actually he let them go at Hull, didn't he? As well, yeah. But yeah. what he did is he, he he let them actually take over the sort of football side of it, if if that makes sense. Like he was still doing the managerial side in terms of motivating the players, you know, overseeing everything in terms of strategy and all of that. But in terms of the the day to day, he sort of let it go to what I would say is the more younger, progressive man, uh, more younger, progressive coach who is more in tune with what, what the modern player was doing, if, if that makes sense. And I think all of the aforementioned people from yourself, um, you know, like your McCarthy, like your Allardyce, like your Coolis, um, Warnock, et cetera, et cetera. Their problem is they've not got new people around them who are bringing new ideas. It's yeah. gone stale. Um, 
and I think that is the the big part of the problem. They've not changed and they've not adapted. And um, that's why they're struggling. They haven't got good young coaches around them who are bringing the newest and the best and blending that with the experience which they've got from obviously managing for 20 plus years. Um, so I think that's exactly right. I think the biggest problem though, um, and, and if I would say so, is that the worst thing which a lot of football clubs have done is have divorced the first team from the academy. So the first team is a, is a totally separate structure from the academy. And I think the biggest problem with that is that what you're, what you're seeing is that the manager for the first team, A, is never in a job long enough. So a manager these days will last 24 months to, you know, if they're lucky, actually. Oh, that's lucky, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what that means is that the football, philosophy, the football philosophy at the club is so disjointed. So the young kids, are, you know, they're doing all of this kind of stuff, but they don't really have any exposure to the first team because the first team is constantly changing, putting you know, managers in, managers out, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very disjointed football philosophy. And so it makes it difficult. So how do we pull through our young kids into the first team if we don't have that culture at the club? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it really is interesting because, you know, it, I'm a big believer in terms of saying, I think you need to have that manager who's invested in the youth academy, who's interested in what the youth academy is doing, is asking, you know, it's not so much about asking them to play a certain way, but wanting them to develop and, and, and churn out youngsters. And I think what I'm seeing with a lot of the championship clubs is I just don't see the development of the players. And the problem for that is because they're so concerned in survival, if, if that makes sense. Mm. So a manager comes in. So if I'm a manager who comes into a job at Cardiff, I don't, probably don't care about the youth academy because all I want to do is stay in the job, if, if that makes sense. But what you're seeing is a total deficit in the sense that how do you bring through young kids through the academies for these clubs and, and have that sustained sort of pathway, but also sort of, you know, um, convey about players who are coming into the first team. Yeah, I think for us, mate, like if anything, the legacy of our stay of the Premier League, we've got an academy, right? We've built the academy, new ground, everything, right? Facilities, world-class facilities. And in that time, we were in the league for, what, seven years, right? So in, and Cardiff for a championship. So if you're a kid growing up in South Wales and you've got trials for either Swansea or Cardiff, you're going to pick Swansea because they're a Premier League club, right? So you look at players like Ben Cabango, who's a Cardiff boy. But because of that time in the Premier League, we were able to pick anyone we want in Wales to play for us. So, and then look at that. Those boys would have been um, started at the academy, what, seven, eight years ago, right? In that time, they've grown up now and they play for Swansea. But the thing is, because the situation that we're in, which is different to Arteta's situation, is we've had to pick these players out of necessity because we've got no money to buy anyone. So we have to play the kids. Fortunately for us, the kids that we've developed in that seven or eight years are pretty good, you know? So, but that can only be sustainable for so long, you know? This yeah, is what I'm saying, though. Is like, like, we, need I, to I, go, we need to go up this season because you're, that, you're, gravy, you're that ex- gravy train's going to run out soon. Yeah. What I'm saying, though, is you're an exception to the rule. That makes sense. Yeah. So you look at the other teams around you; they haven't quite got that level of youngster. If that makes sense. Nah. Um, and, and this kind of goes back to my point, um, where I think the problem with the championship clubs is that a lot of the times they're focused on survival, um, and I kind of get it as well because like you want to stay in the league, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but what you really need to be doing is trying to churn kids through the youth academy. Um, so it's almost like changing the focus from you know. Um, pumping money into the first team because that's important don't you run the first team is important but 
ultimately you know that anyone who's good enough in your first team is going to get poached. Yeah. Look at Brentford, for example. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or, or others. So it's about saying, you know, we need to have the next Ollie Watkins coming through, if that makes sense, or the next yeah. whoever it is. You know, you need that conveyor belt, which is kind of what, what, what I was saying. Um, and I think the problem with a lot of the clubs is when you've got these managers at the top, all they're interested in is survival, like mm. you make the parties and these guys, they're not interested in building a football club. Yeah, and this right. is the biggest issue is you know, how do you and what's interesting is you look at it and you think to yourself well you know it, how do you build a successful football club in terms of you've got great talent coming through at the bottom and then you're also doing it on the pitch and it, it's not easy to crack is it no but the thing is it's like like as we keep saying mate for what the last what two or three years it's sort of like football it's it's instant isn't it it's the whole culture like you can't there's no manager that's going to be at the time of day to work on a philosophy and build a club from the ground up. You know what I mean? Even you got, what, 12 months if that. You have to have instant success now, you know? The days of giving the manager a five or 10-year contract are over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But then I think the biggest problem as well is just like, I think the biggest challenge is the modern football manager. I think you've seen Arsene Wenger, he was sort of the, you know, the other end of the spectrum of this and, and, and probably a great example is that if you don't surround yourself with the right people and you don't change with the times, what you did once a period, once upon a time, which was market leading, world class, you know, top of your game can become obsolete fairly quickly. Yeah. And so I think the challenge for the modern football manager as well is that you need to also surround yourself with the right people which are constantly challenging you. Because um, if you don't do that, then like, your currency starts to fail, if, if that makes sense. Mm. And, and I'm, I'll be very curious to see what happens with Mourinho, because I think he's on last chance saloon here at Tottenham. Oh, do you reckon he's on that list as well? Well, if you look at it, it's like, well, he's not won a league title now in, was it seven years-ish? Mm. He did it right so at United, though. He did it right there. Yeah, 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 I get it. But as a manager, what you judge on league, so he's not won a league title, I think, since, was it? 13, 14, so that's yeah. seven years. In that time, he's not won an awful lot, to be honest with you. Do you know what I mean? Look at the it's table like, now. Like This is what I say. Like Spurs, Liverpool, what? It's the next game, isn't it? That's a huge game yeah. for both but you, clubs. You see, but he you, needs you see to win what I mean? Yeah, you see what I mean, though? If, he hasn't, if he's gone, if he's been sacked at United and Tottenham and not won the league, that's kind him. of like he's... He's got nowhere else to go in England, though, is he? Because he's like, you've done Chelsea twice, you've done United, you've done Tottenham. He's never going to get a run at Arsenal. City would never have him. <laughs> like, Liverpool not going to take... He, do you see what I'm saying? He's, yeah, in last yeah. chance, he's in last chance saloon territory for England. Um, and so, you know, I guess, you know, sure, he could try and go to France or Italy, and I'm sure clubs out there would have him, but... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you've got to constantly change, challenge and evolve into that. And it's so difficult as a manager. I think, you know, the only manager I, I can see who's done it really is is potentially Fergie. Um, I'm just trying to think about a manager who's been successful for a long period. And Kalotti, you could say as well, maybe, because he's sort of done it over over a long period of time. But I think as a manager, it's, it's so successful to continually keep delivering, isn't it? Mm. All right, mate. Um, FA Cup this weekend, the fourth Cup. round of the Cup. The Cup. So uh, Arsenal away um, to St Mary's tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, we've got the early kickoff, twelve fifteen to um, to Southampton, which is going to be an interesting one. 
1.15am here, mate. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've seen it, but the results come in today. So you had um, Chorley, who's proper non-league. Um, unfortunately, they've gone down 1-0 to Wolves. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, great result from Chorley to, to obviously you know, mix it in now. And uh, to go down, obviously 1-0 is no shame, is it, to a team like Wolves? What's your chances tomorrow, mate? Southampton away. Let's let's not forget now. You're the holders. Yeah, I think it's one of them where it's like, if we're going to go out, if we're going to go down Southampton, we need to score goals. And uh, so I guess from my perspective, it's like, where, it's like, where's it, where's it going to come from? Um, so conservatively, I'm going to say we'll do them two one. Um, but we're going to need a, a massive performance from our forwards. I think he's, Martinelli's going to need to put in a performance and potentially someone like an Uber or Lacazette. So conservatively, 2-1. But if our, forward line doesn't, if our forward line doesn't fire, I think we could get done down there. All right, OK. Uh, Brighton-Blackpool, it's the, the battle of the, the coasts. The, the, what's, a, what's a nice holiday, mate? Brighton or Blackpool? I'll go Brighton all day long, mate. Warmer <laughs> down there. <laughs> so you going for a Brighton win? Uh, it's an interesting one. Um, I'm actually going to go for the upset. I'm going to go for Blackpool. Okay, next one, Millwall and Bristol City. Now, yeah, Bristol we'll City, with... they've lost a few games, man. Millwall done quite well this season, so I'm going for Millwall. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, the, uh, I'll go the wall. The wall. <laughs> uh, Barnsley, um, Norwich City. Uh, Norwich all day long, mate. Yeah, I agree with that. Sheffield United, uh, Plymouth Argyle. Uh, Sheffield United, I think they're on a little run now, aren't they? So I'd go with them. West Ham, uh, Doncaster. Donny. Donny. Who do you think, mate? I, I, uh, no, West Ham. I think I've I got a feeling. I've got a feeling that West Ham will go far. Um, next tile at four o'clock tomorrow morning. Oh, God. Swansea, Forest. I'm going for a Swansea went all day. Yeah, Swan, Swansea should sneak through that one. Forest and nothing. Um, Cheltenham, Man City. Not even a conversation, is it? Oh, well, I mean, the missing KDB. Yeah, sissy all day long, innit? You know what? It'd be the, the typical Swansea thing to win our game and then City, because they've done a draw, City lose to Cheltenham, so we get Cheltenham in the fifth round. Like You're, you're dreaming, son. If that, do you know what? If you think it's that sure, do yourself a favour, go down to the bank now, pull yourself out a 1000 New Zealand dollars and put it on <laughs> Cheltenham to win. And then that's you done for the rest of your life. You never have to work again. So, well, uh, yeah, <laughs> do that one, mate. Um, Chelsea, Luton. Now, this is tasty. Yeah. I mean, if there was fans and yeah, we're back yeah. in the light Ch- 80s, this would be a tasty yeah. game. Yeah, Chelsea will do them all day long. Off the field? No chance. <laughs> Not in this day and age. Not in this day and age. <laughs> Um, Fulham, uh, Burnley, uh, Premier League, Premier League ties are boring, aren't they? Fulham, Burnley, they are a little bit. You, I mean, your your ideal cup tie, right? So the ideal cup tie is you want an away day somewhere where you're going to get a massive allocation, um, and ideally somewhere which you're not going to go all that often. Um, that's your ideal cup tie, isn't it? Maybe um, Arsenal had a good one a few years ago. It was um, Sutton United, wasn't it? Yeah, so we were down there. Um, we were to Sutton, which was non-league, which was great. And then, actually, on the flip side, the next stage of that was a brilliant one. So that was when Lincoln City, That's right, they had yeah. us. And um, so what's great is when you get the big... So, for example, in the FA Cup, you get 15% of the away end. 
So we offered them 9,000 tickets. So if you think about it, as a Lincoln fan, you know, it's your once-in-a-lifetime chance to go to a big ground, isn't it? Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, yeah. Next one that, that, uh, Brentford, Leicester. Now, well, we, didn't, we didn't conclude on Fulham Burnley. Oh, who, who, who are you going for then? I'm going for a draw, and I think it will go penalties. I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for Fulham. Penalties. Me too, mate. Me too. Um... Brentford, Leicester. Oh, Leicester will dick Brentford, won't well, I, I just hope Leicester just kicked the lumps out of them, mate. Because <laughs> we got them next Thursday. So a few injuries would be nice. A uh, suspension or two. Um, next one after that is, uh, well, the tie of yeah, tie of the round, really, isn't it? Man United versus Liverpool. Controversial. I'm going to go Man United. Yeah, me too. I'll go for United as well. Even Liverpool though even have... it was a damp squid, though, that last game. But yeah. it's that Old Trafford, isn't it? Liverpool haven't done nothing in the FA Cup in donkey's years as well, mate. Let's have it right. They reached, they reached one final, which was against Chelsea, you know, almost 10 years yeah. back. And apart from that, nowhere to be seen in the FA Cup. Whereas United are a little bit more active in the FA Cup, aren't they? Mm. So who are you going for, mate? Uh, yeah, I'll go for United. In that okay. Game. Uh, Everton, Sheffield Wednesday? Um, again, it's one of those where it's like, if it was at Hillsborough I'd, and there's fans in the ground, I'd be a little bit more inclined to go another way. But I think Everton should should should, should comfortably put Sheffield Wednesday away. Okay. Uh, Wickham Wanderers versus Spurs? Uh, unfortunately, Spurs will get past Wickham. Even though I'm sure Akin Fenwa and the boys will, will put in a sterling <laughs> performance. And the last tie... Of the fourth round, Bournemouth versus Crawley Town. It's an interesting one because obviously Crawley done Leeds which was obviously fairly embarrassing if you're a Leeds fan. But um, I think the the run will probably end, and I'd say Bournemouth will, will get past them. All right, nice one, mate. Well, it was a pleasure to have you on again, mate, for the first time this year. I'm sure we'll have you on many times this year because Jack and Jasper are lazy bastards. But <laughs> I appreciate well, you it, spending your Friday yeah. evening, mate, with me. I love yeah, it. it's difficult. It's difficult, Eddie, isn't it? When you don't want to give them an appearance fee and you're you're taking all the Spotify money for yourself, <laughs> then, uh, you know, obviously uh, there's, there's going to be a bit of sort of you know disharmony in the camp, isn't there? <laughs> all right, last word for me, mate. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all anyway. I mean, this is probably the most exciting and interesting football season I can remember um, from a Premier League perspective and also from a Championship perspective. It's all to play for. So I think. Um, you know, a lot to be exciting for football fans. And I think probably the next time I come back on the pod, whenever that is, um, you know, I think we'll see, obviously, you know, who the pack is at the top, yeah. who's going for, um, whether it's top four or, the, you know, the playoff positions and then who's floating in around the relegation zone. So, um, yeah, I think you're going to see them. My prediction is that the next five to seven games of football, everything's all going to play itself out. Um, I think you're going to see the, you know, the shakers and, and, and the movers and, and, and all of these sort of things. So, uh, yeah, it is really... I mean, this is such an exciting season. It's not a normal season. You know, obviously, no fans in the ground. Um, you know, clubs having a play through, whether it's COVID, um, whether it's dodgy offsides and all of these sort of things. I don't want to talk too much about that Villa <laughs> City game the other day with, with all of that kind of, I mean, everything's been thrown up this season. Do you know what I mean? There is such uncertainty. So, I think it really is, you know, it's... All, all to play for it's up for grabs and I think for fans of a lot of clubs it's just about sort of you know dreaming big 
and uh, seeing where you end up. So, uh, yeah, I wish everyone all the best, depending on, on who you support. And um, unless that's Tottenham, of course, we can't, have, we can't have Tottenham winning anything. That's just not allowed. Um, but, um, yeah, no, strap yourselves in. It's going to be an absolute amazing ride over the next uh, next uh, next six, six to eight weeks. Good, good, good. Um, from a happy gooner to an even happier Swansea Jack, everything's going to plan, mate. Cooper's master's plan is gonna it's gonna happen, mate. It's it's God's plan. We're on the march of Cooper's <laughs> army. We're all going to Wembley. Cause <laughs> <laughs> the jacks are going up. <laughs> the worst thing about Mick McCarthy is because he's got uh, Mick McCarthy. He's got three syllables, right? Usually for the song. Um, Cheer up, Neil Harris. We need two syllables, right? Oh, what can yeah. it be to a sad Cardiff bastard and a shit football team? We love Ooh. the Cardiff manager with two syllables, all right? That's what we want. Do you know what I mean? Or three. Yeah, three. Yeah. Mick McCarthy's got like four, isn't it? Mick McCarthy. Yes, four. Ah, I'm going to we're gonna have to wrangle a tune for him anyway, but he won't be there long enough. By <laughs> yeah. the time I got a chart for them, he'd be slacked, mate. But anyway, thanks uh, for listening to another episode of the Extra Trials Football Podcast. Um, and yeah, we'll see you soon again. Okay. Cheers. Have a good one. Kaki Tano. Kaki Tano. <laughs>